following sermon is by Andy Lake, the senior pastor of Liberty Bible Church. This program, Grow in Liberty, is the preaching ministry of Liberty Bible Church in Vienna, Ohio. Liberty Bible Church places a priority on the Word of God over all else and has a desire to share truth with believers and non-believers alike. Our prayer is that as people tune in, they would come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Join us as we grow together through the Word of God. Hebrews chapter number 12. Look with me, if you would, starting in verse number 18. For ye are not come unto the mount that might be touched, and that burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words which voice they that heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them any more. For they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it should be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. But ye are come unto Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. Let's stop for just a moment, and I'm going to ask you to pray in your hearts as I lead in prayer that God would speak to us this morning, that we would not leave here the same way as when we first came, but that God would move in our midst and that He would change us. So you pray for me as I try to deliver And we'll begin this morning. Father, sometimes the weight of Scripture bears heavily upon me, and it should. Father, this morning I I can feel that more so than most. So, Father, what I ask is that you would remove anything that might be a distraction anything that might take my mind off of you and your word, anything that might cause us to stop focusing on you, I pray, dear Heavenly Father, that you would put that at bay. Lord, we could give up the cares and concerns of this world for just a moment as we focus solely on you. Thank you, Father, for the passage before us. Thank you, Father, for the truth that is presented. And bless us as we seek to apply it to our life and that we would seek to honor you in all we say and do. It's in your Son's name I pray these things. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. One of the uh, tasks, probably one of the more daunting tasks uh, of a preacher is in the delivering of truth, uh, the truth in a way that is both, uh, it presents the uncomfortable reality of who we are and our position and uh, what it is that uh, disqualifies us, so to speak, to present it in in such a way that not only do we uh, present man's shortcoming, but at the same time we supply the hope uh, for the weary pilgrim as they pursue holiness and peace. Now, one of the things that we've got to uh, uh, we've got to kind of bring everything back to an understanding is not everything in Scripture is going to be palatable. 
take for example, uh, sometimes we sit down to dinner and we, uh, we, uh, we sit before a meal that we look at and we're thankful that the meal's there and we, it's maybe one of our favorite meals and we push ourselves away from the table going, thank you, dear, that was wonderful, that was phenomenal. I have a wonderful wife that's a wonderful cook. I know some husbands are not as blessed. Some husbands come to the dinner table saying, you treat me like a god, burnt offerings yet again. I understand that. I don't have those difficulties while others might, but, but realize this. There are other times where after a delicious meal has been placed before me, the next thing that comes out is that little cup placed before me with the vitamins, 472 of them, and I'm supposed to gag that down. Have you ever belched up a vitamin? Oh, that'll make your hair stand on end if you have it. Those of us who don't have hair, it'll make it grow. (laughs) But see, sometimes what we have to realize is that when we get into the Word of God, we're going to be presented with something that is a feast that is palatable. Other times, we're going to be presented with vitamins (laughs) that may not necessarily be palatable, as in tasty. Ooh, this is something I really like, but it might be something that is good for you, and you need to take this in order to be able to grow. The difficulty in preaching is being able to hand the vitamins and the tasty morsel of food on the same plate. The writer of Hebrews, as he's writing this sermon out, does a masterful job of this. As we look through the beginning portions of this, uh, and if you remember, the exhortation of how we ought to live really began back in chapter 10, verse 19, and it continues now. The preacher presents now the grand finale of uh, uh, in form of a contrast between the Mosaic and the New Covenant, the Mosaic Covenant and the church age, so to speak. And so as we have gone through, and, and chapter 10 was uh, really kind of introduced, verse 19 kind of introduced that uh, practicality with all the doctrine that we have gained through the book of Hebrews. Now let's start to apply it practically. And so we started to see this. And, and I don't know about you, but sometimes when I read those things, I am coming face to face with the reality that I am falling so short. And it's time for me to step up my game. Specifically, when we get into chapter 12 here, if you remember, uh, we've, we've spent the past 15 messages exploring uh, uh, the uh, warnings and the proddings of those, but here in chapter 12, we get into some more information as far as running the race and not taking our eyes off of Christ. And we have come to the understanding that when I stop pursuing Christ, it's because I have taken my eyes off of Him and I have placed them on the problems of life, the difficulties of this world, uh, perhaps preferences that I might like, uh, and, and it's all a matter of what is distracting me and pulling me to the left and to the right, and God says in through the writer of Hebrews to lay these aside and look unto Jesus. We got into Jacob and Esau and the idea of how uh, uh, Esau was the one who was considered profane. Now, I want to pause for just a minute for station identification. Esau, I don't believe, was your anti-God, atheistic type of an individual. You don't see necessarily that Esau was saying, I hate God and everything about it. It's not that as much as it just didn't matter to him. Catch that. I think sometimes we put in our, our mind that we have Jacob, the one who pursued God with every fiber of his being, and then you have Esau, the one who hated him and ran from him, kind of like you've got the, the Billy Grahams of the world, and the Richard Dawkinses of the world. Dawkinses, I guess that's how you would say it. That's not what is being introduced to us. Esau, it wasn't that he was anti the things of God. It was that it didn't matter. He didn't care. Jacob was pursuing the blessings of God, and Esau was like, I'm okay, I'm good. 
We have the people with the spirit of Esau within churches in America all over today who go to church week after week, and maybe you've heard uh, heard them say things like, that guy is so heavenly-minded, he's of no earthly good. You know, you don't have to make everything, you know, hey, guys, can we pray? Oh, you got it. You don't have to make prayer in everything, do you? Well, that guy, don't invite him to the, to the fellowship meal. He'll turn it into a Bible study. Yeah. Let's, let's not do that. You've got someone who is pursuing Christ with every fiber of their being. They're moving toward the person of Jesus Christ, and then you have everybody else. And this is kind of what the writer of Hebrews is introducing to us. That if, and, and, and stop for a minute before anybody goes down the road, so he thinks that there's only one kind of Christian and the rest of us. No, that's not what I said because every single one of us fit into both of these boats at different times in our life. There are times in your Christian walk where you may be Jacob and you may be pursuing God with all of your being, with everything that you have, and you're running that race and you're running it well and you're moving toward Christ and then all of a sudden something happens in your life and you turn and go that direction instead. Esau. I'm moving toward Christ. I'm trying to please him. I'm trying to bring glory and honor to him. And then all of a sudden, something happens on my way to church that makes me just despise even coming to this building now. I have just gone the way of Esau. You see, we can all fall into both of these boats very quickly. And the the writer of Hebrews is trying to encourage us, don't be like Esau. Be like Jacob. Pursue him. But then we come now to something that is interesting, and I I love the way the writer of Hebrews does this. You ready for this? Here's the heavy news, and here's the sigh of relief. Look at this with me, this contrast between the two. It's sort of a grand finale. Verse 18 says, For ye are not come unto the mount that might be touched and that burned with fire, nor unto blackness uh, and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet that the voice of words, uh, which voice, and the voice of words which voice they heard and they entreated that the words should not be spoken to them anymore. The writer here wants it to be known, you have not come to the old covenant. You have come to the new. And so he wants to draw this contrast for us between what the old was and what the new is. And I want you to notice just a few things on this. First, the old covenant. Let's get us, let's get ourselves in an understanding here because so many miss this contrast between the old and the new covenants, mostly due to an understanding of the nature of both covenants and of God's purpose of the covenants. But note the picture that the preacher points here. Wow, that was a lot of peace. Note the picture that the preacher points out in the old, ooh, I didn't mean to alliterate that, but it just kind of happened. First off, look at verse 18. You have not come to the mouth that can be touched. I want you to notice that this first part is that it was tangible. Because if we're not reading this carefully, we might think that there's a mistranslation here because they weren't supposed to touch the mount. You go back into the book of Exodus, chapter 19, and it says that they're not supposed to touch the mount. But then it's like, well, this one can be touched, so what is the deal here? In other words, it was tangible. It was something that could be touched and could be felt. It was something that could be experienced physically. So this one, the old covenant, was tangible. This speaks to the ritualistic, to the places, and so forth and so on. These things that uh, that uh, so many times we come into, uh, we've got to realize that the old covenant brought about this ritual, brought about these uh, this idea of uh, being able to touch and to be able to feel. The, the whole of the Levitical law was given to them. Uh, the Levitical system had ritual practices and things that they had to do in order to be able to approach God. This is one of the main differences. The second part of this old covenant is that it was mysterious. You see how it says, uh, for ye are not coming to the mount that might be touched and that burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest. It was mysterious. You could not see through the smoke and through the clouds and everything. You weren't 100% sure. All you knew was that something was going on, but you couldn't go through and see it clearly. 
Even into the Levitical system, the Mosaic law, it's, it, it was a foreshadowing. It was supposed to show to us, but it wasn't perfectly clear at that moment what was going on. And so the shadowy blackness, darkness, you could not see it. Now, not fully understandable is basically the idea here, how to approach God. One could see he was there, but how to be with him was not yet fully realized. Third about this is that it was exclusive, exclusive. Now, only the Jewish practices. Now, we got to be careful with some of this stuff because I think sometimes we think in our minds that only the Jews were able to be saved. That's not the truth. That's not the case. But you had to come over to the Jewish way of thinking. Now, the exclusivity in this, think about it for just a moment. You have a small nomadic group of people in the middle of the wilderness that God spoke to. You wanted to hear from God, you had to go to them. You wanted to hear what God expected of you, you had to go to them. This exclusivity, this little nation tucked away in the wilderness. But then, not only that, but it was unapproachable. Go back to Exodus, if you would, please. Exodus chapter number 19. Exodus chapter 19. Let's see just how unapproachable this was. Look with me at verse number 10. Exodus 19, verse 10. And the Lord said unto Moses, go unto the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes and be ready against the third day for the third day of the Lord, uh, for the third day the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai. Uh, and thou shalt set bounds unto the people round about saying, take heed to yourselves that ye go not up into the mount or touch the border of it. Whosoever toucheth the mount shall be surely put to, to death. There shall not a hand touch it, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through. Whether it be beast or man, it shall not live. When the trumpet soundeth long, they shall come up to the mount. Now, this unapproachable idea, this these boundaries were established. They were set up, and no one was supposed to come to it. No one was to enter, and it was for their own good and their own safety. God was saying to them, do not, do not test this out. He says, you've got to understand, I am holy, and you are not. If you try to approach me, bad things have to happen. I cannot be in the presence of what is not holy. I have to separate. And so if they were to come and he was to, he was, they were supposed to be put to death. There was an unapproachable uh, idea of this. The sound of thunder, the smoke, the trumpets, they were announcing. It all made it very terrifying to them as well. Look at, uh, look with me if you would, um, look at Deuteronomy chapter, chapter, uh, chapter nine. Deuteronomy chapter nine. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 9. I'm sorry, chapter 5. <laughs> We're going to chapter 9 in a minute if you want to hold your finger there. Deuteronomy chapter 5. Look at verse 5. This is Moses recounting God's, God's covenant. He says, I stood, verse 5, I stood between the Lord and you at that time to show you the word uh, of the Lord, for you were afraid by reason of the fire and went not up into the mountain, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Thou shalt have none other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven images or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the waters beneath the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself unto them nor serve them. For I, the Lord am, uh, thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the Father upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. 
and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. I want you, uh, just for sake of time, this is all the Ten Commandments. They're going through it. He says, you were afraid of this. Drop down with me to verse number 23. It says, and it came to pass when ye heard the voice out of the midst of the darkness, for the uh, mountain did burn with fire, that ye came near unto me, and even, uh, even all the heads of your tribes and your elders, and ye said, Behold, the Lord our God has showed us his glory and his greatness, and we heard his voice out of the midst of the fire. We have seen this day that God doth talk with man and that he liveth. Now, therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of God, our, uh, of the Lord our God, any more than we shall die. For who is there of all flesh that hath heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the midst of the fire as we have and lived? Go thou near and hear all that the Lord our God shall say and speak thou unto us that the Lord our God shall speak unto thee and we will hear it and do it. Now, it's funny, if you really think about it, they were too scared, but it's kind of like, you know, whoever's uh, going to go forward, you know, whoever's going to go out for us, whoever's going to take this job, step forward, and everybody else just kind of steps back, you know, and you got that one lone guy standing in, there's poor Moses. None of them wanted to approach. It was terrifying. It was a terrible sight but it was only temporary. This is where we really kind of need to see everything in all that is uh, all that is being explained to us. Look at now uh, chapter number 9, verse 19. This is Moses. Actually, start at verse 17 for context. And I took the two tables and cast them out of my hands and break them before your eyes. And I fell down before the Lord as at the first 40 days and 40 nights. I did neither eat nor drink uh, water, eat bread nor drink water because of all your sins, which he sinned in doing wickedly in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. For I was afraid of the Lord and uh, hot displeasure of the anger and hot displeasure, wherewith the Lord was wroth against you to destroy you. But the Lord hearkened unto me at that time also. Back over in Hebrews, we read where even Moses said, I'm terrified. It was a fearful thing to be in his presence. Fearful thing. Now, we want to be cautious because so often people today try to say, well, the Old Testament God was different than the New Testament God. No, God changeth not. The God that spoke to Moses is the same God that speaks to us today. The God who wrote with his finger the very word. Of, and think about it, the book that you carry, there's a portion of it that was written by the finger of God physically speaking. He carved those Ten Commandments out on the tablets of stone himself. This is God's word. And it doesn't change. God of the old is the same God of the new. It's all just completed revelation. And so we don't want to dismiss that burning fire. We don't want to dismiss that. We need to embrace it and understand what was being given to us. And so unapproachable, terrible, and temporary. This was never meant to be the end. This temporary, it was only meant for a season. The next step, they had to build a tabernacle. The next step was the temple. All these sacrifices and everything led up to what was going to be permanent. This was never meant to be permanent. It was meant to prepare the way for what permanency was on its way. Now, I want you to notice something else with this, going back to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12 now. Look at verse 22. But ye are come unto Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, 
which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. Now he gives the contrast. It's important for us to understand the difference between comparison and contrast. In comparison, I'm trying to introduce how two things are similar. Contrasting, I'm introducing how two things are different. The new is different from the old, and he wants you to understand the differences. What a wonderful realization we have here. No comparison is intended, only contrast. Catch this first one. You remember the first one of the old covenant was tangible. This one is spiritual. Spiritual. It's not meant to be physical. This new system is an internal one, not ritualistic in nature. Uh, it's not about what you do as much as being. This is important for us to understand. I don't do in order to be saved. I do because I am saved. That's a big, a big misunderstanding in many Christians' minds today. I have to do this. As long as I'm doing this, God's going to be happy with me. As long as I'm doing this, God's going to forgive me. As long as I'm doing this, God's going to smile upon me. As long as I'm doing the right things, God's going to bless me. If I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm doing. And my friend, you're going to get worn out. Quit trying to do in order to be something. Understand, when we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, when we come to God through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, we are robed in Christ's righteousness, not our own. And so when I am robed in Christ's righteousness, what more can I add to the picture? I can add nothing. When God looks upon me now, someone who is born again by the Spirit of God, he no longer sees my ritualistic attempts. He sees Christ's finished work. I can gain no better standing than that. Anybody tells you that you have to do certain things in order for God to like you, they have taken the blood of Christ, thrown it off to the side, and made it of no effect. I don't do so that he will love me. I do because he loves me. If someone is truly born again by the Spirit of God, they will not try to do in order to gain favor. They will do because they have gained favor. The doing is not in order to be saved. The doing helps you know if you are saved. Feet are disgusting. You ever thought about it? Some of the people are like, well, there's the ADD kicking in. Yeah, I got a point, though. Feet are disgusting. Matter of fact, I had half a mind to take my shoes off during the message and see if anybody was interested, willing, or desirous, should I say, of coming up here and cutting my toenails. Anybody want to sign up for that job? You got an angle grinder with you, do you? <laughs> okay, let's not go down that road. Let's just say you come up here and bring a washcloth. And... No? no? Anybody want to take care of the bunions? Corns? Feet are disgusting, aren't they? But it's so different when that little baby laying there in front of you, that little infant holding those little feet up. <laughs> really? Their feet. And then what's every wife do when she comes home? She kicks her shoes off and props her feet up in your lap. And instinctively, the hand goes down to start rubbing those toes, right? Why? 
I'm here to tell you, you put your feet in my lap, I ain't rubbing nothing. But my wife puts her feet in my lap, I'll happily rub them. You know why? Because I love her. It makes the unpleasant not so unpleasant anymore, does it? I'm just here to tell you, out on the job site, you know, I used to work construction. One of those fellows come up and say, Andy, it's been a long day. I'm going to take this shoe off. Would you mind rubbing my corns? No. But because of the relationship that I have with her, it doesn't bother me. It's different. It's different. This is the way it is with the doing. Listen, I'm not going to give up much for a sports team. I'm not. I'm not going to sacrifice time with my wife and kids so that I can sit around and watch something that really has absolutely no bearing on my life. Just... But him, I'll gladly sacrifice anything for. It's different. This new covenant, it does not, uh, it's not about the doing and the externals. It's about that internal and that spiritual relationship that I now have with my Savior, the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in me. I don't have to go through a ritual in order to approach God anymore. I don't have to worry about what I'm wearing to approach God. I approach God. It's no longer look at that mountain. Oh, I don't want to get close to it. It's how beautiful it is. I can't wait to get in there. Not only is it the spiritual over the tangible, it's also clear. I want you to understand something. I'm not going to spend too much time on this, but the the uh, the mysterious or the dim of the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, they only got part of it, a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. We have the perfect revelation of God now. We have everything. It's clear. God did not make himself so elusive that you have to have a doctrine and philosophy in order to find him. He made it very clear. Come unto me, all ye that we are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, he says. He made it very clear the way to, the way to God, the way to have peace with God is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Christ himself said, I am the way, ha, way. Ha, it's the definite article, the only, not a way, not a truth, not a life. I am the. The word of God is clear in its presentation of how we can know him. Clear. Not only that, but the new covenant is inclusive, not exclusive. Realize this, God's message is to be broadcast to all the world. As a matter of fact, he even told his disciples, go ye into all the world. Not some of the world, not a portion of the world, but all the world. And preach the gospel to every creature. It don't matter if you're Jewish, you're Gentile, you're red, yellow, black, white, pink, with purple polka dots. The gospel, my friend, is for you. It's beautiful. Not only is it inclusive, and realize what inclusivity means. It means that we are fellow citizens, fellow citizens with this innumerable uh, amount of angels, those who worship and adore God, the fellow saints or believers here on earth, the general, all believers everywhere, the church, the local New Testament church, those who are the enrolled, those who are born again, the believers who have gone on before, the saints, the fellow believers, so forth and so on. But now it's also accessible. Sinai made people back away. They started to make their way and fear made them back up. Can I help you understand something? The accessibility 
that Christ calls us to this closeness. He compels us to not just, he doesn't want you to just come up and do. He, it's, David even understood this. He says, thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. What the sacrifices of God are, are a broken spirit and a contrite heart that God is happy with. So whether you put the right amount of money in the offering plate, you put the wrong amount of money in the offering plate. Your attendance record's great. Your attendance record's not so great. That's not what we're looking for. What God is looking for is for you to have a heart that is completely sold out for him. The other stuff takes care of itself. Quit trying to check all the to-dos off. Catch this. Because this is one of the most encouraging things you're ever going to hear in your life. Not only that, but it's not ple- not terrible. It's pleasant. Joyous. All who come to Christ through the shed blood of Jesus Christ are joyfully welcomed. God does not turn you away. Okay, there's a couple people who caught that one. You come to God, not in your own strength, not in your own power, not in your own ability, not in your own might, but you come to him through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. He will not turn you away. That's beautiful. But pastor, what if I sin? run to him. Well, Pastor, when I, when I sin, I don't feel like I'm even worthy to open that book. Look, before you sinned, you weren't worthy to open that book. I don't know how perfect you thought you were before the sin came along. Christ makes you worthy. Christ is what makes you able to pick this book up. Christ is what makes you able to approach the throne of God. I I just sinned. I failed, and it's a horrible failure. It's a horrible, miserable failure. I, I, I I don't need to be going and praying right now. I probably shouldn't pick up my Bible. I probably shouldn't spend time in my devotions today because God is probably mad at me right now. Stop! That's the moment you need to run to him even faster, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, not to your sins, not to your failures, not to the things you think are going to distract you or pull you away from Christ. Those are the very things that ought to propel you to Christ. It's pleasant. He says, I'll not cast you out. Come unto me. You're my child. Now, I want you to understand something about this. There's no fear of rejection or malice on his, from him. But the rejection from us is a lot more severe now than it was then. They didn't have the clear cut presentation that we have today. They were looking forward to what was to come. We look back to who came. The punishment for rejection is much more severe today than it was under the old covenant. Because we are without excuse. But then I want you to notice also the permanency and the finality of this. No longer, no longer do we meet with God in tents. We meet with God one-on-one. What? Know ye not that your body is not your own? Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? Catch that. No longer do we meet with God in tents. We meet with Him personally, 
The Holy Spirit takes a permanent residency within us when we are born again by the Spirit of God. So how do we apply a lot of this? We're going to move through these last few things quickly and we'll be done. First, I want you to notice that the old still has benefit. Some people say, well, let's just do away with the old. Let's not even focus on the old covenant anymore. No, the old still has benefit. The old helps us to realize our condition and understand just how perfect God is. Paul referred to it as a schoolmaster preparing me for the new. When I realize my condition, that I'm unable to meet with God on my own, this was the whole, this was the whole thing about the, they set up a boundary around that mountain and says, wait, 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 don't come, don't come too much, don't, don't, stop. You can't. You can't approach. Now, this was not God stiff-arming, saying, I don't want to have anything to do with you. Don't misunderstand that. It was loving, just like when my kids are running and uh, they're, we're, we're maybe out at the, at the mall and they're getting ready to run across the parking lot, and I say, stop, don't go any further. I'm not trying to be mean. I don't want them to get run over. It's loving. The old helps us to realize our condition. Understand just how awesome God is. And please, my friend, please, I beg of you, don't take this flippantly. I I grow weary of the modern-day mantra of God is love, 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 love. That's all you hear. God is holy, holy, holy. Here in just a moment, we're going to read from a passage uh, that next week we'll be into it where it says that our God is a consuming fire. We need to catch the full picture of God. Do you realize that all the Mosaic law was actually God making a way for man to approach him? When we read Leviticus and we read the Mosaic law and we read all of this, we think to ourselves, man, God made it really hard for people to approach him. Look at all the hoops you got to jump through. You got to wash this way. You got to wash this many times. You got to do this. You got to wear that. You can't have this. You can't have that. Man, all these rules, man, God made it really difficult for us to approach him. No, he made it as easy as he could for you. He said, you can't approach me, so I'm going to institute some things to help you approach me. Now, look at the uh, verse number 24, and we'll make our conclusion here. And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. (laughs) You remember the uh, people back here in Deuteronomy and, and during the Exodus and They said, uh, we don't want to hear the word of the Lord. You go hear the word of the Lord. Let him talk to you, and then you come tell us. You mediate, Moses. You mediate for us. And Moses is walking in, weak need, trembling. Um, uh, Lord, we don't have that kind of mediator any longer. We no longer have this terrified man. We have Jesus Christ representing us to God the Father. Get what that entails for you. Here I am, going back to the analogy of running the race. I'm running the race, and I'm running it with patience. I'm doing pretty well. I'm making my way. I've got my eyes on Jesus. I've just prepared a message. I just preached the message. And as I'm making my way, Lord, I'm going to preach this message. I'm going to do it for your honor and your glory. And then five seconds after the message is preached, the last amen, someone comes up and says, Pastor, I didn't like the way you said. And what happens? My eyes come off of Jesus and get placed on something else. And now I'm faced with the temptation of, well, maybe I should preach something that's a little more along what they want to hear. 
Well, Pastor, I don't like the way you spend so much time in one book. Pastor, I don't like the way you dress. Really don't like what's going on up here. Uh, maybe I need to do something different. Uh, my eyes come off of Jesus. And they're faced on the weights and cares of this world now, aren't they? Guess what? Jesus is mediating between me and the Father. And He says, Dad, I know He took His eyes off of us. But I paid for that one too. Dad, I know he wasn't paying attention where he needed to be. I know he, I know he was distracted for a minute. I, I understand that, but hey, Dad paid for that one too. Running along, I'm doing the race and I'm doing really good. Someone cuts me off and I curse them out or something. My mediator in heaven is not a terrified man afraid to go talk to God on my behalf. He walks in and says, Dad, I paid for that. When your husband is acting the way he should not act, and rather than lovingly respect him anyway, you're nagging. God says, Dad, I paid for that one too. You see, we have a wonderful mediator in Jesus Christ. Let's make it personal for a minute. Are you trying to do enough to be loved by God? Well, I know, I know I have to put my trust in Him and I don't have to do anything for salvation, but Maybe God will love me more if I do certain things. Stop, please, stop. We don't do in order to gain. We do because of what we've gained. Are you still trying to earn your salvation? Are you still trying to earn God's favor? Are you still trying to earn? Stop. You know, Paul even talked about the things that we do for Christ. As wood, hay, stubble, and some of it's gold, silver, precious stones. Did we actually serve him because we had a heart that was desirous of serving him? Or did we do that just so that we could get a crown in heaven? I got more crowns than that guy does. Hot dog. Wood, hay, stubble. I'm telling you, it's not a crown. Are you clinging to rituals? Clinging to certain practices and certain activities. Is that what you're trying to hold on to? Or are you resting in the finished work of Jesus Christ? Now let me explain one last thing here. I'm closing my Bible so you know I'm done. what it means to rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ doesn't mean that I go through the rest of my life flippantly. Yep, Jesus saved me and I can just live however I want. That's not resting in the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's making the blood of Christ of no effect. Resting in Jesus Christ is when I notice my shortcomings, but I notice His grace as bigger than my shortcomings. And even when I fail, I don't stay down. I get up, I dust my knees off, and I start running again. When I trip and I stumble because I'm not looking unto Jesus, but I'm looking at what somebody else wants me to see, I get up, wipe the dust off my pants, and I start running again. The Bible says a righteous man falls seven times, but gets back up. Are you resting in Jesus? Or are you resting in what you do? I've gone to church enough this month. I'll be okay. 
I've read my Bible enough this week. I'll be all right. That's not resting in Jesus. What's resting in Jesus is trusting Him to forgive. That's it. Rest there and not in your own ability. Father, I ask that You would use this time to bring glory unto Yourself. Father, the things that are distracting to us, things that are causing us to not trust You, pulling our eyes off of You, forgive us of that. And let us live the life that is completely given to You. Let us rest in Your knowledge and Your ability. Father, I want so badly to not be me, but just to be more like You. And so, Father, I ask that You would use this time. Use this time to draw men unto Yourself. To compel men to live lives more in keeping with their claim of salvation. Help us in this, Father, we pray. Clinging to the fact that You are and that You are the rewarder of those that seek You. Help us in this, we pray. In Your Son's name, Amen. You have been listening to Andy Lake, Bible teacher with Grow in Liberty and pastor of Liberty Bible Church. We pray that you were challenged today and encourage you to share this message with your friends and family. If you were motivated in some way to grow in your walk with Christ, please drop us a line and reference the title of today's message. You can access us online at growinliberty.org. Email us at together at growinliberty.org or send us a letter to Liberty Bible Church, 2111 Sodom Hutchings Road, Vienna, Ohio, 44473. If you would like to support Grow in Liberty financially, you may also do that at growinliberty.org. Thank you so much for joining us today.